0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossifari Zoo News, your look at uh, all the cool new stuff in the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and animal weirdness. And uh, I'm excited to have you back, or here for the first time. If you're checking out Zoo News for the first time, welcome. Uh, This is a weekly newscast-style podcast where I have um, people send me things from the various zoos around the the U.S. and the world, and aquariums and conservation organizations, all the things, and then I talk about them on here. Um, I also find my own sometimes, but really, People have been contributing so amazingly well lately that I barely have to do any work on this anymore. And I appreciate all of you that do that. Uh yeah, so um we're gonna get into this in a minute, but I, I like to start off by updating about some things about my life normally. And in this case, um it's me. I'm the zoo news. Y'all, I assume that you've been paying some attention online, but I know that I don't have a huge TikTok fan base in particular. So I have to tell you, this whole thing, drumming with elephants and me playing with my my new bestie, uh, Emily, this has gone viral, like really, really viral in a way that I never thought anything I did would go viral. As of this recording on Wednesday night, um, I have over seven million views on TikTok. And I'm closing in on two million views on Instagram. And for those of you that don't follow the whole how these things work on the social medias and such, first of all, good. I wish I didn't have to know if it wasn't for promoting this podcast. I wouldn't either. But um just to uh, explain a little bit, it is uh, it's one of those things where – so it's basically set up where TikTok tries to show people things that um, they wouldn't have seen otherwise. Whereas Instagram, the uh, algorithm is much more based on you see what your friends post and such. So it's a lot harder to get a lot of views on Instagram. Um, I would say that, that closing in on 2 million on Insta is actually more impressive and challenging than – 7 million on, um, TikTok, but also I just like Instagram more. So, Hey, whatever. Uh, but the point of all of this is not to brag or be like, this is really cool, but it, it is really cool. But like, it's, it's not me, it's Emily. And it's, it's seeing people connect with this animal. Like this is what zoos are. And this is the thing that I love about zoos and animals. I am so fascinated. I have read every single comment. And yeah, there are some, you know, uh release Emily into the wild. Uh one girl made a whole video about how Emily should be released back into the forest that she came from. Okay, not that. Very much not that. Um but most of the comments, so many of the comments have been incredible and and the shares and the messages and all of it it's been wildly overwhelming uh my phone notifications have been going off every couple seconds for a couple of days now and it's it's really really weird and i'm not even set to get notifications for likes it's just like the more deeper content stuff where people comment and such um this whole thing has been mind-blowing and yeah I, i never thought that i would be the zoo news but uh i am actually emily is and uh, the funniest thing about it is that the number one comment by far, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because they're all a little bit different, but they all basically tell me that I desperately need to give Emily the drumstick. And if you listened to the episode um, or if you saw all of my videos and you know this, but in case you've only seen the really viral ones, uh, I did in fact give Emily a drumstick and you can go on either TikTok or Instagram or Facebook and uh, find, find those videos and you will see exactly what emily did with um with the drumstick and you know it's it's kind of funny because she uh rejects it in glorious fashion i'm not going to tell you exactly how because you still need to go watch it but um you know it really got me thinking because one of the things that we do uh at zoos a lot as as visitors and a lot of the the, the people that seem a little i don't know confused they're there but they kind of wish they weren't and they're going in with a bad attitude, whatever, things that I hear all the time are people misinterpreting animals' actions. And I think this video is such a hilarious way of looking at that and saying, you know, the number one thing that the millions of people that watched this video thought, at least enough to comment, uh, was she wants the drumstick. And then I gave her the drumstick. And she absolutely rejected the drumstick. So I think it's a good little reminder that uh, maybe what we think we're seeing, unless we have studied behavior and know the species and that kind of stuff, uh, at a zoo is not always what um, we are seeing, even though sometimes we like what we're seeing and, and maybe it makes us feel more connected. By the way, I'm going to be completely transparent with you all and just tell you this, um, Zoe thinks she wanted the drumstick. Still, even rejecting the one that I gave her, she thinks she wanted one of mine. And uh, so, so you know, there can be arguments amongst, amongst people about this. But uh, I think it's really adorable either way. And I love that these videos have gone viral and that Emily is being seen by literally millions of people. It is mind-blowing to me. Um, yeah, okay. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And let's get to why we're here. Why? Yeah. Two, three, four. Ow, that's a funky monkey. Tree kangaroo. Or a It's zoo news. All right. So um, despite the fun part of that song, we're going to start off by saying goodbye to a lot of zoo animals. Because this was just a really really rough week for a lot of zoos and a lot of animals that I, I love. So uh, we're going to start off with that. And um, the the big news for, for me and for a lot of you uh, that listen and follow along on the pod is that the Toronto Zoo announced that Baby Spice, their baby red panda, passed away unexpectedly earlier this week. Uh, they were in the middle of a naming contest for Baby Spice where you could guess the name, and uh, they did announce in the announcement of the death that uh, they had been calling the young male cub Dash, as in a dash of paprika, which I think is adorable. A lot of us had been following the Baby Spice pictures and videos and such, and um, I I am just heartbroken about this um actually when i woke up and saw the social media post i think i just kind of sat there for like two solid hours being sad um i've spoken to robert and lisa two of the keepers at the zoo lisa's been on the the show before and uh they're just devastated but you know handling it well and it seems like all of the the family there is doing okay so um this is unfortunately a, a part of the whole zoo thing and um They're just devastated, and I'm just devastated, and and this is such a bummer. The zoo is doing a necropsy and hopes to have more information soon about what was the cause of death. But uh, unfortunately, we now have to say goodbye to Baby Spice. Goodbye, Dash. And uh, I wish I could stop there, but um, I can't, not by a long shot. Uh, Clearwater Marine Aquarium has announced that PJ, the eldest of their bottlenose dolphins, has passed away. Um, PJ was estimated to be around 51 years old, which is really long for a uh, bottlenose dolphin. And uh, she had been really good friends with Winter, and the the famous dolphin who didn't have a tail that was in the movie uh, Dolphin's Tale. And, um, you know, Winter passed recently and now uh, PJ has gone off to to join Winter. So... Condolences to everyone at Clearwater Marine Aquarium on that tragic and painful loss. Now, if you are a fan of the Akron Zoo, then you probably know Atlantis, the capybara. Uh, Atlantis can often be seen hanging out uh, in the exhibit right near the jaguars and frequently steals the show even from those amazing cats. Uh, unfortunately, at 10 years old, um, which is uh, about a year and a half older than median life expectancy for a cappy in captivity, uh, it turned out that Atlantis was um, just going downhill fast, wasn't doing well. And so they did a vet exam and uh, there were multiple abnormalities that were all age-related. So they had to euthanize. And, um, you know, these are always such tough things. And thus we had to say goodbye to Atlantis. And I'm just going to keep going. We're just we're just ripping the band-aid off here friends and I'm I'm sorry for that but also uh, want to get it out of the way. Um if you are a fan of this podcast at all, then you know that we love Southwick's Zoo and one of the absolutely amazing animals that has lived at Southwick's for a long time uh, is Mowgli, the African leopard. And Mowgli uh, passed away on Tuesday, October 18th. Um, Our good friend of the pod, Emily Begay, uh, said that if you asked her what her favorite animal that she's ever worked with was, it was Mowgli. Uh, This was an animal that just touched a lot of hearts. Uh, Fans absolutely loved Mowgli. Mowgli actually had to be hand-raised as a cub by Betsy Brewer Bethel, who you've also heard on the podcast and who runs Southwicks right now, uh, which made him a wildly mellow, though also very regal cat. Um, He had a super close bond with Betsy and all of his keepers, and uh, they uh, found out that when he was a cub, he really liked getting ear, back, and belly scratches and as he got older you cannot continue doing that obviously so they actually created a special tool that helped them give those scratches safely you know through protected contact so yeah that's um that's just another really really sad sad loss uh and then again with the we're just going to we're just going to keep ripping the old band-aids off um the next one that i have to tell you about is Luke. Luke was one of the uh, African lions who lived at Smithsonian's National Zoo. Uh, he had to be euthanized at the age of 17, which is the median uh, life expectancy for African lions in human care. And um, Yeah, he had several cystic masses throughout his liver. Um, And he also had uh, a spinal condition that they had known about for a long time. Um, But it had suddenly gotten a lot worse. And even um, some of his cervical vertebrae had uh, fused. So um, it was just bad. Luke was not doing well at all. And uh, so they had to put Luke down. And then last but not least, I promise the Band-Aid is almost off. Um, The Philadelphia Zoo recently announced the uh, passing of Emma. Emma was an Amur Leopard and uh, at 20 years old was one of the oldest in uh, captivity um, sadly, uh, Amar leopards are one of the rarest cats out there. Um, but it's really cool that, uh, she lived to literally double the life expectancy, um, of Amur leopards in the wild and added a solid five years to what can be expected even at the high end for, uh, Amar leopards in captivity. They, they did a really great job taking care of her, but, um, yeah, arthritis of the spine, uh, made it really hard for her to move around and it, she just wasn't enjoying her life anymore. So yet again, the decision was made to humanely euthanize Emma. And I know that I oftentimes don't do deaths on this podcast too often or especially not like a lot of them like this. Um, but all of these were animals that I, I knew about or in a lot of cases uh, actually knew and and loved. And so um, – yeah, and th- these are the types of things that hit home sometime. But uh, you know, that's part of loving an animal is is learning to let go. So, you know, sending love and condolences to all of the keepers at all of the facilities that I just mentioned and thank you all for doing an amazing job taking such great care of these animals. All right. So, moving on to the next topic, um we have received the full report From the Henry Villis Zoo investigation that has been going on and that we've talked about on here a bunch. Um, So if you don't remember from previous episodes, the Henry Villis Zoo in Madison, Wisconsin, has had a lot of issues lately. There was a problem – little over a year ago with their director apparently acting inappropriately at that AZA conference that year. And um, then there were just all kinds of issues. All of the black zookeepers decided to leave. There was supposed retaliation against a whistleblower and then complaints came in um about the actual care and welfare of the animals at the zoo. And all of this led to uh, the board of Dane County, where the zoo is located, hiring somebody to do an investigation. Uh, this person is a retired judge who has uh, no you know, skin in the game. And they did a very thorough investigation and released a, let's see here, 51-page report on uh, their thoughts on the Henry Villas Zoo. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Y'all know I'm in grad school. Y'all know that I am gigging. Y'all know I have a lot going on. I have not had the time to read all 51 pages yet. I'm going to, I promise you. And if I have additional thoughts, I will either make a bonus episode or maybe just throw them in a later Zoo News. However, the report does have an intro and uh, conclusions and final thoughts area. And so I did take the time to read through all of those and I'm going to share some of those with you because frankly, that's what I do with most of the papers that I write grad school and I'm getting A's so maybe maybe I should stop shirking responsibilities but uh, anyway so let's let's talk about this. First of all, uh, in addressing the animal care issues uh, there are absolutely no reasons to believe that Henry Villas Zoo is not providing the best possible animal care to its residents. There is one incident which had been reported before, uh, which the zoo was very transparent about. The AZA knew about all kinds of stuff where there was an issue involving a capybara and they addressed it and fixed it and have moved on. Okay. So that is a mistake that they made. Um, All zoos will do that from time to time. And outside of that single one-time example, The investigator was not able to find a single reason to believe that the animals are not being well taken care of. In fact, uh, the final thoughts paragraph, I'm actually just going to read this to you. I hope that this report has been useful. I do want to emphasize that the issues experienced by the zoo over the last four plus years have been challenging. Regardless, the staff has continued to function and provide excellent care to the animals entrusted to them. They have been placed under a microscope and portrayed negatively in the public eye, often without merit. The employees feel that there has been no response from the county rebutting these allegations and that someone needs to do so. Both management and employees have made mistakes, all organizations do, but continue to show up for work and represent the zoo in a positive way. I am impressed by the knowledge, care, and professionalism of the individuals at the zoo." Hopefully, these suggestions will aid the county and zoo in continuing to be a gem of the county and will allow individuals to focus on the path ahead. The suggestions in question there being suggestions that are made throughout the report because he does make suggestions. Uh, but, yeah, so that is um, that is the, the conclusion that was reached by this independent investigator – in digging a little deeper, I did notice some things. Um, for instance, they mentioned that there are a lot of older animals at the zoo, but also that there were some deaths that the AZA asked for additional information about. I've never heard of that happening, but I don't know if that's involved in a, an investigation like this one, or if um, if that's just something I've never heard about happening. I don't. I don't know. Uh, sometimes being an outsider is tricky, y'all. But um, they. Yeah, I don't know. They did a lot of stuff on here where they think the zoo can improve in minor ways, but they were very uh, diligent in saying that there is no reason to believe any of the retaliation claims, any of the racism claims, or really all kinds of other stuff. So I need to do a lot more – Research into this, like I said, I want to read the whole report, but based on what I have read so far, it looks like Henry villas Zoo is getting a clean bill of health from the investigator uh and that's great news um if If I sound almost sad about that i'm not i'm truly I want that zoo to be amazing that's where my buddy bandit the red panda lives i I love that zoo I've only made it there once, but I really, really love that zoo um and so I want it to be good i just I always feel a little skeptical if I haven't you know overturned every rock in an investigation. And in this case, it's just 51 rocks that I don't have the time to overturn before this episode drops. But I promise you, I will read the whole thing. And if I have additional information to share, I will share it. Until then, though, let's just be happy that this wasn't an absolute bombshell, because we've seen what can happen with absolute bombshells and AZA-accredited facilities, even really good ones like the Columbus Zoo. The Maine State Aquarium which is in the state of Maine, surprisingly, uh, had to close down in 2020, but now plans to reopen uh, starting in the summer of 2023. I know nothing about the aquarium. I've never been there, um, but I do love the state of Maine. And um, I just thought that it was worth mentioning because, honestly, Maine doesn't have a lot of – facilities up there. So uh, it's cool that they're going to be getting their aquarium back. Uh, I hope it's like a good one and such, but, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out at some point, I'm sure, once it actually reopens and uh, and we can all go and pass judgment together. Doesn't that sound fun? And then I want to do an absolutely big shout out to the elephant care team at uh, ABQ Biopark out in Albuquerque. Um, so they have an elephant there named Irene, not as cool as Emily, but still a pretty good elephant. And uh, she is definitely a fan favorite out there. And uh, Irene has had eye problems for a long time detached retina, all kinds of stuff going on. And so the problem has become worse and worse, and treatment has slowed and then basically stopped working. And so it has been determined that Irene needs to have one of her eyes removed. ...to remove her pain and suffering. So um, not only is the team planning on doing this, uh, they're going to have their own veterinarians and animal care professionals there, but they are actually bringing in um, elephant eye care specialists from all around the country in the hope of, you know, making this work out for Irene. And I just think this is yet again another example of how zoos are absolutely flipping amazing because they're going to spend all this money to bring in all these experts to take care of one elephant's eye. And it just really warms my heart. So uh, awesome work to the team there. In a quick but fascinating story, uh, there is a lioness at the Topeka Zoo that has sprouted a mane, which is, you know, normally a thing that male lions have. Um, So this is most likely due to a natural rise in testosterone as the lioness is aging, and it has been seen occasionally in wild uh, lionesses as they age but it's wildly rare and i believe it's the first time this has ever been documented uh, as happening in a zoo so that's pretty cool and last but not least for our zoo news segment this week uh we have the story of beach donkey now beach donkey as you can imagine is a donkey who likes to wander the beach um it's the only bear ass that you will see on wait no, none of this is accurate. I just wanted to make the bare-ass joke. Uh, the truth is that Beach Donkey is an African penguin who lives at New England Aquarium. And no, I do not know why Beach Donkey is named a Beach Donkey. Uh, but... Beach Donkey is a 24-year-old penguin who lives at New England Aquarium. 24 years old, and um, she still loves to waddle all around and is super active, despite the fact that she's, like, really, really old, dot, 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 and has a debilitating foot disease. Uh, So as such, what her team has done is develop custom footwear, that helps her overcome her debilitating foot disease and be able to walk and swim and do all the things. Um, it's it's just such a really cool thing, and it wasn't just the the booties, uh, the beach donkey booties. Um, yeah, no, uh, they did medication, they did surgical procedures, they have like done basically hand on foot care, like kind of like massaging I guess, and then then finally this, uh, this custom footwear. And it has all worked out, and beach donkey now gets to live, you know, her best life, and actually to learn how to do this, even got to go on field trips throughout the aquarium, walking all around, and learning how to walk with her booties while seeing the rest of the aquarium, including even getting to see Myrtle, the sea turtle, the queen of the New England Aquarium. So yeah, just another story of the ridiculous lengths that zoos and aquariums go to, to take care of their charges. It's really beautiful, y'all. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! Y'all, if you follow this podcast at all, then you can only imagine the excitement in the text that I got from my good friend Katie Prop this week. Katie, of course, works at Penguins International and has been on the podcast a bunch of times. And uh, she sent me a text saying, breaking news, uh, because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has decided to provide Endangered Species Act protections for emperor penguins. The Endangered Species Act provides numerous benefits to foreign species, primarily by prohibiting activities such as import, export, take, interstate commerce and foreign commerce based around them. Uh, and by regulating those activities, the uh, U.S. is hoping to, um, you know help conserve these species, in this case, emperor penguins. Uh, this is something that I know Penguins International and other uh, conservation and advocacy groups have been pushing for for a while. So this is a really, really big win. And I am, I'm so excited, uh, mostly for Katie Prop, but also a little bit for the penguins too. So uh, yeah, this is just some really great conservation news. And I always like being able to start out with great conservation news. Especially when we then have to have some not great conservation news. According to Greenpeace, only about 5% of the plastics that we all try to recycle are actually getting recycled, which is an all-time low for that. And the number is expected to get worse over the next couple of years. The, the plastic pollution problem that we have is so out of control, y'all. And uh, how is the plastic industry responding to this? Well, they currently plan on tripling plastic production by the year 2050. So, that's going well? No, no, it is not. Um, the big problem, according to waste management experts, is that plastic is simply too expensive to uh, to collect and to sort into the different categories it needs to be sorted into to be recycled. And I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, but some of it's getting recycled and reused, and we see all these things saying, ha this is reused plastic. But also, according to a study by Greenpeace, a different study—they study lots of things over um, there—it seems like the more plastic is reused, the more toxic it becomes, uh, starting with as little as one or two uses. So— Our reused plastic stuff that we're thinking, hey, we got this plastic, but we're not using it as a single use. We keep using it. Yeah, it's it's degrading and becoming more toxic. So cool. I don't really have a silver lining to add to that story, but uh, I do have a different story that is nice. Um, The Wildlife Trafficking Alliance is teaming up with a little organization known as the AZA. Um, to launch the not a pet campaign later this year, with the hope being that it will address the trade of live wildlife as pets and the risk of zoonotic diseases caused by the live pet trade, both legal and illegal. So that's really cool. you know the hashtag no panda pets uh, campaign that Red Panda Network has been running for a while now uh is really seemingly. Being successful, um, there there's a lot of talk about it. There has been a lot of education in Nepal about it. It's not just a hashtag, y'all. But it's a really good campaign that I genuinely believe is, you know, helping that situation with red pandas. Um, and so the idea of having a wildlife trafficking version of that makes me really happy. And knowing that it's these two great organizations rolling it out together uh, gives me a lot of confidence that that will work and hopefully have a wonderful impact on the uh, – the pet trade, both illegal and legal, because like they said, sometimes the legal pet trade can still be wildly problematic. Aussie Arc has teamed up with the Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water, Rewild. Australian Reptile Park, and Wires to release 10 hatchling Manning River turtles back into the wild. Uh, These are turtles that were rescued by Aussie Ark staff when they were still in the egg during the bushfires of 2019 and 2020, and now they are being returned back to the wild, which is the first time that this has ever happened. Happened For this species. So this is really, really uh, exciting. And of course, Aussie Ark being Aussie Ark is trying to do more. And their goal is to raise some money and then start doing headstarting and re-releases for hundreds of these turtles every year. Very cool. And uh, for those of you who pay lots of attention, you may notice I'm talking about Aussie Ark again, and I talk about them a lot. And one time I mentioned that they might be doing something illegal and there was like some drama online about it. Um, But I keep checking and I have not found a single bad thing other than that one story that came out and then seemed to disappear. So uh, I'm going to keep talking about the awesome work they are doing until I am given a reason not to. So don't do that, Aussie Ark. Cool, cool. In other- Okay, so we already know that honeybees are awesome and super important and, like, love your pollinators, y'all, right? Um, But now it has been discovered that some honeybee swarms can actually generate electrical charges that are stronger than some thunderstorms. Uh, So it turns out that um, small electrical charges get carried by individual insects, and when they swarm together, it actually can create a, a substantial electrical field. How much of one? Well, testing has revealed that bee swarms can actually generate an electrical charge up to 1,000 volts per meter. Uh, and the denser the swarm is, the stronger the field is. Uh, to, to give you an idea, that is uh, significantly higher charge density than either thunderstorm clouds or electrified dust storms that is really amazing and uh, the authors of this paper are speculating that this actually may um, influence things uh, that we can see happening physically like the way dust moves so fascinating stuff So, here's an interesting example of evolution in action. Um, Wolves tend to be different colors in different parts of the North American continent. So, in the Arctic and Canada um, and other northern areas, wolves tend to be gray, but in the southern areas of their range, uh, most of them are black. And uh, researchers have learned that um, the same gene that decides whether the coat of a wolf is either gray or black is one that plays a major role in protecting against respiratory diseases such as canine distemper virus. Um, so most of the black wolves that are out there have uh, CDV antibodies, suggesting that they contracted the disease in the past and survived. And uh, the coloring was also more frequent in areas where CDV outbreaks occurred. Thus, black wolves appear to be more likely to survive canine distemper than uh, gray wolves are. So uh, this data was looked at over 20 years, and another interesting thing that they found when they really went back is that in areas where CDV outbreaks occur, wolves would often choose mates of the opposite color in order to maximize the chance that their cubs would have black coats and thus also have the genes that would help them combat the disease. In looking at some other studies that were done, uh, researchers are becoming more confident in the fact that at least in some cases, uh, multiple non-human animals, including some insects, amphibians, birds, and even some non-human mammals, uh, have evolved this idea where there's an association between color patterns and disease resistance, and therefore the animals that have the disease resistance become more attractive to mates. And over time, this is how you suddenly get an all black wolf population uh, because evolution. Pretty cool. And as a final bit of other news, if you are a fan of podcasts, and if you're not, why the heck are you listening to this? uh, You should go check out a recent episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Actually, you should check out all the episodes of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It is one of my, if not my number one, favorite podcast that isn't called Raw Safari. Uh, Anyway, the episode is called Kira Attack. And uh, in it, Conan meets a falconer and discusses falconry with said falconer, and a bird makes an appearance, and, um, man... Uh, Conan and Matt and Sona their, their reaction to the, the bird is just adorable the whole thing makes me so happy and uh, yeah it, it's um, it's the same exact kind of feeling that I always try to get when I get actual animals on the podcast and and give you guys a listen to me meeting animals and such and uh, it was really cool to hear that with, uh, with some people that I really respect on a podcast that I love so dang much Kira attack oh All right, And that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. And we're starting off with a quick reminder that uh, this has been a bunch of different months. But most importantly, it's Squirrel Awareness Month. And I'm going to miss Squirrel Awareness Month. So for the last couple of days of the month, please make sure that you are aware of squirrels. All right. And then on Friday, the 28th, we're celebrating World Lemur Day. And Saturday, the 29th, is National Hug-A-Sheep Day. The 30th is International Snow Leopard Day, and the 31st is International Gibbon Day. It's also Halloween, so if you're looking for a costume, you could go as a gibbon. Or if you're looking for a costume that might make you TikTok famous, you could go as a slutty gibbon. Hey, no judgment here. Just saying. Uh, yeah, so – and <laughs> sorry, y'all. <laughs> You're an idiot. Uh, anyway, and then that brings us to November, which is Manatee Awareness Month. So promise me that you'll work really hard to be aware of manatees this month. Tuesday, November 1st, is Stick Insect Day. Those are those, well, insects that look like sticks, hence their name. And actually, if you have not had a chance to check out um, – the wildlife explorers base camp the latest exhibit at the san diego zoo they have an area of base camp that is all about the different insects like stick insects that look like things like sticks and leaves and stuff and it is mind-blowing to see it in person and also some of them are a lot bigger than you might expect um it's it's really cool uh and then yeah on thursday the third it is world jellyfish day and those are your animal holidays for the week All right folks, so there you have it. Another episode of Rasafari Zoo News is in the books. I always say something like that, but really it's a podcast. We don't we don't have books. Books are, are cool, though. I like books. Anyway, sorry, getting distracted. So um, I wanted to remind y'all that on Tuesday, I will be dropping my episode with Rick Schwartz from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. So make sure that you are there for that. Should be a good time. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and remind y'all that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. You know, supporting the pod helps me get to go and do these cool adventures like drumming with Ella elephants, just saying. Uh, And then I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed to the news this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Jacob Zinn, Katie Prop, and Ali Malensky. Thank you all so much for your contributions this week. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits backwards. Or Steider Kiswein. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at Rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.